right. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing all right. Uh, my name is Christian Wall. I'm a deacon here and an elder candidate. Um, and you may be wondering where Matt is right now. Uh, Matt, our pastor, Matt Ford, is down in Albany, Georgia, right now preaching uh, in place of uh, Pastor Tim Bice at Greenbrier down there. Uh, they are a sister church of ours because we're all a part of the Acts 29 network of church planting churches. Uh, we talk about that every once in a while when we talk about missions, uh, when we talk about the churches that we've supported in Inverness, Scotland, or down in Guatemala. Um, but we're also a part of kind of an organization of churches down here in the southeast. They call it a cohort. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of benefits to that. Uh, it's nice if I meet somebody at work and I want to tell them about a church that I trust. I can generally trust that Acts 29 churches are good, and so I'll just hop on the computer and say, you know, what, what Acts 29 church might be near them since they don't live down here. They might live on the north side of Atlanta or something, um, but we're all over the place. And so another benefit of that is if, uh, if Matt needs support and help, he can call on our brothers and sisters at other churches, and uh, they can call on us. So that's where Matt is this morning. Uh, we pray for him because he's preaching like right now, um, but yeah. So uh, we're also not in our Esther series this morning. Uh, we're taking a short break. Um, I had something prepared that's in a different book of the Bible. I'll be in uh, the book of Isaiah. Um, and even though we're not in the book of Esther, uh, I am happy that it's not totally different from the message of the things we were talking about in Esther. Thematically, it all flows together. If you know anything about the prophet Isaiah, he was a part of Israel warning everybody about the coming exile, warning everybody about the judgment of God, that the people would be taken away. And Esther uh, comes after that. This is after the people of God have been exiled to places like Persia, and that's where Esther and all of the other figures in that story uh, come from. So we're going back in time. We're going back to Isaiah. And we're only going over a very small portion of the scripture, so uh, it's not going to be... Uh, very important that we understand context, but there's, there's your context. This is all still the kind, of, the kind of warnings that are going out to the people of Israel before the coming exile. So that being said, I'm going to read our scripture. If you guys will stand with me, uh, normally we do this in the very beginning, but I'll read it now. This is in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this word. Uh, warnings are always good, and we know that Proverbs tells us that only a fool despises reproof. We don't want to be foolish. If you have a reproof for us, God, we want to receive it. If you have warnings for us, we want to receive it with an open heart, with a glad heart, uh, not as judged sinners, but just as disciplined sons and daughters. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for this message this morning. Please open our hearts and teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this may sound uh, familiar to some of you because last week I talked about this scripture and this kind of uh, message in pre-service prayer. Um, we say that service starts here at 10 o'clock. 
but really service starts at 925 uh, because those, those that want to and those that can uh, gather here, right here in this sanctuary, and we pray together uh, just before service. We've got one person that leads, that person will read some scripture, lead us in prayer, and then they'll moderate what we do from there. Uh, some people will have prayer requests and we'll share those burdens with one another. Um, someone will have a request and then another person will volunteer to pray for them. Someone else will have a request, someone else will volunteer to pray. Um, I'd encourage you guys to come on out to that. You don't have to have requests and you don't have to pray, uh, but just being a part of it is, is really excellent and, uh, and I promise that, that it will be good for you. Um, we want to be a church that prays because we're not a church if we don't. Um, but this, this is what I sort of shared then in an abbreviated sense. Now I get to expound because I've got more time than just a little bitty three minutes of time for that. But uh, right now, I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, like I said, it might sound familiar, but, uh, but you'll, you'll see how much more we have to say just about these two verses of Scripture. So recently, I personally have been going through a period of some spiritual inactivity or coldness and kind of a lack of direction, whatever you want to call it. Um, looking for direction or joy from God, uh, specifically in his scripture or from prayer, and I'm not quite finding it. And I know that that's not unfamiliar to us because it's common for Christians, uh, even, even the best of us, to go through periods of time like that. And it's also difficult to pin down when those moments happen because it's like when the sun is setting but you're not sure where the dark takes over. Um, you know, one minute you, you look up and you realize, okay, it's getting dark, and then one minute you look up again and you realize you can't see your hand in front of your face. Um, it's the same with emotions. Uh, you arrive one day and you realize, I don't feel so good right now. And you look back and you kind of try to pinpoint the moment when it changed or shifted, and you can't quite figure that out. Um, even though the Bible is an excellent uh, guide and tool as, as the as the given word of God, uh, there's a lot of maps that might be in the back or the front of it, but there's not a, there's not a road map to our spiritual and emotional well-being. It's just not in there. Um, but scripture can be an excellent guide and a help for those things, and so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And uh, so there are a few reasons that I or you could be going through a season like that in your life. Um, you could be going through it because God has sovereignly ordained that this is going to happen for you right now. He has decided that he is going to be silent. He has decided that he's going to hide his face from you. This happens to people in the Bible before. We went through Psalms not that long ago, and all throughout the Psalms, David is asking, God, please don't hide your face from me, but God doesn't. God leaves David alone sometimes. Um, that's one reason, but another reason could be because I am not listening. It could be because I'm not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and I'm not giving the Holy Spirit room to speak. If I busy myself from sunup to sundown, seven days a week, I don't rest, I don't do anything, uh, or I don't give God a moment, then where is he going to speak? He might knock me down the way that he did Paul, but he's probably not going to. If we're not seeking out God and not giving him space to speak, then we can't be surprised when we don't hear his voice. So that could be another reason. Um, but we'll cover both of those things in this message. Because as soon as I find out that I feel this way, as soon as those emotions kick in and I go, oh my gosh, I feel bad, uh, let's go to the scripture. Let's go to prayer. That's exactly what we should do. So 
that's what we're going to do. I'm looking at this particular passage for, for guidance because it's what I found in the midst of my moment. Uh, so I'm going to read through it right now. So starting in verse 10, we're just going to pick it apart. It says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Okay, so this fits, I think. This fits my situation. It fits our situation um, because I see the darkness there. Uh, but it starts off addressed to, to me. Uh, who among you fears the Lord, I think that's me, and obeys the voice of his servant? I think that's me too. Um, but I'm still going to ask myself that question. I'm still going to personally examine myself and just to, just to be sure. So my first diagnostic question in this emotional moment is, am I fearing the Lord? Do I fear the Lord? Uh, we as Christians should have a, a reverence and a fear and a love for God. We've talked about this before, the difference between uh, fearing God and being afraid of God. They, they kind of share elements of each other, but really, if you, if you fear someone out of love, then what you really fear is upsetting them or bothering them or hurting them. So you can have, uh, you can have a father that you fear in that you don't want to upset him and you want to stay out of his way because he's abusive or something like that. Or you can have a good father that you love so much that you would never want to hurt him and you only want to do what pleases him and approves of him or what he approves of. And you want to be near that and you want to be close to that. That's a different kind of fear. And that's the kind of fear that we want to have for God, right? So hopefully we're not in that place. Um, but that is the first question we can ask ourselves. How am I feeling about God right now? Uh, and that can help us gauge why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. But our second question there, let him who walks in darkness and has no, oh, excuse me, who among you fears the Lord, got it, and obeys the voice of his servant? The second one. Um, who is the servant that we're talking about? The servant that Isaiah is prophetically speaking as in this chapter is Jesus, although we don't know it yet. But when, when we read that, who obeys the voice of his servant, if we ask ourselves, who could that servant be? It's got to be Jesus. Um, if you want to go back and read all of Isaiah 50, it'll, be, it'll become very clear, and I don't have time to go into it, but it's a very cool prophetic speech from Jesus before Jesus even exists. And Isaiah has a couple of these um, in 50, 51, and up to like 53. Um, and I encourage you to go read these. But just know that in the rest of the chapter, before we get to these two verses, it's been Jesus speaking to the people of God. And what he's doing is he's modeling how to be the ultimate servant. We've been looking for this in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. We're hearing whispers of this promised coming Messiah, the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect servant. And that's what this chapter has been about, is about this perfect servant who, who we are told to follow and told to emulate. So when it says this here, who obeys the voice of his servant, we are supposed to look to ourselves and say, I want that to be me. I want to be that. I want to obey the voice of his servant. And we've had plenty of that voice up to this point in the Old Testament. We've had the laws. We've had the prophets. And those are things we should be listening to and looking out for. And we should orient ourselves to follow that and to desire to be like that servant, right? This is our second diagnostic question. Are we obeying the voice of Jesus? Are we obeying the commands of God? And the reason this is important is because um, if you have an area 
of disobedience in your life, that's what you ought to go after first. If you, if you look at your emotions and you think, I don't feel great, I feel very dark, um, I feel distant from the Lord, uh, first look to your sin. This is our first diagnostic question. Start at the second. Because uh, it can be a block in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you invert that verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, an impurity in your heart can be a spiritual barrier to seeing God. It can block your vision because you've decided what you want is over here and God is over here. Don't be surprised when you don't see God. And so you take your eyes off of that thing and turn your gaze toward him. Okay, that's why that's our second question. But this scripture doesn't say you don't fear God and obey the voice of his servant. That's why you're in darkness. This verse says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. So it's saying you are doing the right thing. If you've passed these two diagnostic questions that we've done so far and you do obey the voice of the servant, you do fear the Lord, the darkness is still there. Now what? I'm, I'm still confused, right? So what this should tell us is that even though you're doing everything right and even though you do fear the Lord and you are obeying and you don't have some area of unrepentant sin in your life, uh, we, can't, we can't start to think, oh, well, you must be lying. There must be some area of unrepentant sin in your life and that's why you're going through this. Uh, we see that kind of behavior from someone like uh, the friends of Job. In Job, he's got several friends and that's, that's all they do is they moralize to him about what kind of sin he did or what kind of sin his parents did that landed him in this situation. And sometimes we as Christians do that. We sort of have a limited view of, of our emotional inner life. And the world kind of does that too. If you go to a doctor, you go to a therapist, or you go to your friends or all these different sources outside of the church, they'll tend to, they'll tend to be simplistic and, uh, and just narrow it down to one thing. They'll say, it must, it must be your diet. Um, I know you haven't been working out. That's why you're feeling bad. Um, I think you need to get on this kind of medication. I think you need to go see a therapist or something like that. Not to say that any of those things are bad. Those are all good. But if we only focus on one, then we're missing a lot of, of who we are as people. If, because we are physical beings, but we're not just physical beings. So if, as physical beings, we solve our physical problems and we still have problems, we're, we're much more than just a physical being. We have to look to those other sources. And that's, that's what Christians do. That's what the Bible does. Another thing I don't have time for is to go through the, the book of Proverbs and talk about these specific instances where Proverbs examines the inner life and talks about, um, talks about your spirit and its connection to your physical body. And it talks about the way that your... Uh, the way that your emotions can impact you and the rest of your life. Please go look at those things. But the takeaway here is that even though things are going wrong in your life and you feel like you're in spiritual darkness, it's not necessarily because of your sin. Don't get hung up on that. But let's move on. We're looking for, we're looking for guidance in this moment. We are regenerated Christians. We're obeying God. We're still living in darkness. I need some guidance. So what guidance does this scripture have for us? The second part, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. It almost feels like I've read the same scripture again uh, because it, it may as well be saying 
carry on, right? We've already said that if I fear God and I obey God, then I need to trust God and rely on God. And I, c- I use those words interchangeably. They, they seem like they kind of lose their meaning because we as Christians say them all the time. Fear the Lord, obey the Lord, trust the Lord, rely on the Lord. Uh, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to look for guidance, and it feels like I just read the same sentence twice. And we've already established that I fear God and already established that I obey God. What's the difference? How do I, or what can I take away from this? Because it, it is trying to guide me in this moment. So we'll go to our third point now. Uh, him who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord. Trust. So our third point is going to be to trust in the name of the Lord. What am I trusting in the name of the Lord for? We'll get into that right now. So trusting in the name of God is kind of a pretty important point uh, that I want to examine a little bit. And what does it mean to trust in the name of the Lord? So trusting in, in the Lord, trusting in the name of the Lord, those might also sound interchangeable, but here's, here's what it means. To trust in the name of the Lord means to trust in the consistency of his character and to trust in what he has promised, right? To trust that he is who he says he is and trust that he will do what he said he would do, okay? So I like to always go back to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 for this, because if I ever lose sight of who I believe God is and what I believe God's promised, um, I just go back to the moment that he's introduced himself to Moses. Uh, This is Moses on Mount Sinai up to this point. We know God as I am, right? That's been God's name up to this moment. It's just been I am all the time. But here we are in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. He says, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That is the God that we serve. When he decided to put into words exactly who he is and what his values are, this is what he chose to say. And I, I try to hold that in the forefront of my mind. Whenever I memorize this verse, I always get like the first part pretty good, but I always kind of lose it toward the end of, of verse 7. But I got the important stuff. I know the character of God. I know what he values the most, and I try to make those my values, right? But when it comes to trusting in God, do I trust that he will do this? I do, because everything I've looked in through the Bible, some people think that God is confusing and he's changed throughout the Bible, but if you read it, you'll realize it's the same God from the very beginning to the very end, and this is his character. This is what he always does every time. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, right? And I can trust in that. Just to illustrate this point a little further, God's not the only one that we trust in the name of. Trust in the name, trust in the character of that person. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of someone that we all know very well. I like movies, so I tend to go with like movie analogies all the time. But if I tell you that I'm taking you to go see a movie and Tom Cruise is in it, if I'm trusting in the name of Tom Cruise, and I'm not worried about the Scientology cult stuff right now, I'm worried about, his, I'm worried about him as an actor, him as a filmmaker, he is an entertainer, and he loves to make great movies. I can trust that 
he will probably run and it'll look really cool on camera because he likes to run in his movies. I can trust that he will do some crazy stunt and he will have done it for real and got it in camera. Not a lot of people do that, but he does it. He's gonna jump out of the helicopter himself. He's gonna learn how to skydive. He's gonna go to space. He's gonna ride on the outside of a airplane as it's taking off on the runway. He, he just does that. And I trust that because he has shown consistently in his character that he is gonna make a crazy movie. So when he comes out with Top Gun Maverick, I might think, ah, it's a sequel, but Tom Cruise, and he is gonna make a great movie. So we trust in his character, I trust in the character of God. And that is something, that is our, our guidance in this moment of darkness, what do you reach out for when you're not so sure if the sequel to Top Gun is gonna be great, what do you reach for? the consistency of the character of God. We trust in the consistency of the character of God in a moment of our great need, okay? And we hear, this is kind of in the vocabulary of the church, people talk about claiming the promises. <clears throat> Sometimes that can err into prosperity gospel. And when you believe like, maybe I'm not gonna get this job or get this thing, someone will tell you, you need to name it and claim it. Um, it's yours, it already belongs to you because, you know, God, God gives you all things. But that's not necessarily true because there are a lot of things God hasn't promised us. Some people, especially in scripture, they didn't get the thing that they were asking for or they did not prosper, they did not lead very good lives. So we have to be careful, right? Um, when we say that we want to claim the promises or we want to trust in the consistency the character of God, and we tr want to trust in his promises, we got to be careful that we know what he's promised. Personally, I always go to the covenant, because I love the covenants. I love when God himself comes down and gives me a promise, promises something to us flawed human beings. It's incredible. Why should he, in everything that he is in his perfection, come down to imperfect human beings and reconcile us to himself through promises, we're not gonna keep our side of the promise in this covenant, but he will, and it's incredible, and I love it, and that's, that's, what, that's what draws me to the covenants every time. And I've, if you've been a part of the Bible study that we're doing right now in the book of Jeremiah, I talk about them a lot. I talk about the one with Adam, with Noah, with Moses and Israel, with David, and the one with us that we actually found in Jeremiah. And, uh, and I'd encourage you guys to be a part of that if you haven't already, or just go read the notes. But the covenants, I really hold tight to those. In a moment of darkness, when I'm not quite sure what God has promised, I reach for that. So, so the, a question that we can ask ourselves then when we're trusting in the name of God is, are we trusting anything in anything that he didn't promise? Are, am I trusting God for something like, I'll use a job for instance. I was just talking about this in pre-service prayer. I've been praying for a job, a different job, for like two years. And every time a door gets closed in my face, I have to come back, think about it for a second, and say, okay, did God actually promise me that I would get this? And he hasn't. He hasn't promised me that I will definitely get a better job. And so I have to kind of check myself and say, all right, but what has he promised me? He has promised me he would save my soul, and he did. He has promised me that he's going to reconcile humanity back to himself, and he is doing that. He's promised me that he will save me from my sin, and he has done that. So I can trust him in the other things, but I have to be careful not to hold on tight to one thing and say, if I don't get this, then I might lose my faith in God. 
because maybe he didn't promise it in the first place. Maybe he has something else for us, okay? It's been a long time on that point, but it's, it's important. But the next part, uh, the, uh, my last point is uh, point number four. If we go back to the scripture, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord, we know what that means now, and rely on his God. Are I, uh, am I relying on God or am I relying on something else? So in this verse, we have a metaphor. This metaphor that we have is a metaphor of darkness, and darkness can mean being alone, it can mean being directionless, it can mean being uncomfortable, not having the light. We want to have light in our life. We want to have the things that we normally rely on in our lives. And there are seasons in our lives when things we rely on are taken away from us, and it feels like darkness. The light is still on, but I still feel like I'm in the dark. And in those moments, we have to be mindful and be aware of how it impacts us because we have needs. We're emotional beings. And even though we're emotional beings, physical things that, uh, that are given to us or taken away from us impact us emotionally. Uh, we, we can't, it's going to impact us if we don't have things like security, if we don't have strength, if we don't have peace, if we don't have comfort and joy and satisfaction and wisdom. But these are things that God provides to us. And sometimes he provides them through other means, but primarily those things that we're relying on should come from God. But that doesn't stop us from often relying on those worldly sources for those things. So if God doesn't intend to give us security right now, sometimes we reach for it anyway, and we reach for it from a different source, okay? Um, sometimes we drift very slowly. It's not in a moment of calamity when we go, oh, I'm going to reach for this, and God says, ah, you failed the test. That's not often how it happens. Sometimes it happens very slowly. We just drift in a direction further and further away from God. And I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. He said that prosperity is what he was talking about in a moment. Prosperity knits a man into the world. And while he finds that he's finding his place in the world, really, it's the world finding its place in him. And that really spoke to me because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that really finds my spot and I get cozy in the world and I say, you know what, this is actually pretty nice. I like this. All while being far away from God and then wondering why he didn't come along with me because he didn't want me to be there in the first place. He had a different place for me to be. However, even though we have drifted and may over time be a little bit further away from God, relying on things in our life to give us satisfaction and security, um, I, want, I want to point out the way that he phrased it, right? Rely on his God. Let me read it again. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So we're in darkness because we've drifted, but even in that darkness where we have drifted, he still phrases it this way, rely on his God. This is evidence that even though we're in darkness, we, don't, we, we still have a regenerated heart. We are still saved. We're still Christians because he is still our God. Rely on his God. We still have him, right? God belongs to us. He's still our God even in our moment of darkness. That's, I, I just wanted to note that because it's important. Uh, but to help us understand the complex relationship between us and the world, 
and the things that we rely on for our emotional well-being, for safety and security, for uh, satisfaction in life, for joy, um, we can look to Israel. We can look to the Old Testament, and this is why I love the Old Testament and I spend so much time in there, uh, because there's so many lessons that are taken from watching this nation, this thousands of people, uh, watching, watching what they do organizationally and systematically through history. It teaches us a lot of lessons, because this is what Israel does as a nation when they should have looked to God for their satisfaction, when they should have looked to God for their success as a nation. Instead, they drift to other things, right? Whenever Israel as a nation wanted strength, they should have looked to God to do it, and they should have obeyed God, and they should have continued practicing what he told them to, but instead they go make a political alliance with Canaan, right? Or Egypt or any of the other ones. Um, whenever they wanted things like joy and satisfaction, they should have gone to God. They should have obeyed him in those areas of joy and satisfaction, but instead they go to Asherah and they go to, to Baal, right? Which are essentially sex cults. And that's something that Israel engaged in. And it's not pretty, but it's the truth of their history. When they really wanted joy and satisfaction, they decided that God wasn't enough and they really liked this cult that came into town. Uh, when they wanted material wealth, instead of going to God who saved them from slavery in Egypt, they went back to Egypt and they made political alliances with them and they shared resources and God said, don't do that. He specifically said, don't do that. But they wanted security more. They wanted material wealth more and they went where they could get it. However, all the while through the Old Testament, every time Israel falls into error and drifts away and fully engages in the sin of the world just to get what they want, God always offers them a path back every time. He always does. Um, here's one place in Jeremiah 9 when he's, he's admonishing them, trying to tell them what to do to bring them back. He says uh, in Jeremiah 9, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Right there, he just pulled us back to Exodus 34. That's the Shekul moment again, the character I was talking about. He just did it again. This is who I am. Trust in me. You keep wanting wisdom. You keep wanting might. You keep wanting riches, but that's not how I work. That's not what I wanted you to have. And you keep grabbing for it from other sources. Go to me instead. I have my own values. What are my values? Steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And if you try to pursue things elsewhere, you're going to do it without me, and you're going to suffer, right? There's another area in Jeremiah 2 where Jeremiah comes to the people and, and delivers this message from God. He says that they've committed two sins against him, that instead of drinking from the fountain of living water that is God, in this analogy, he's talking about water as, as life and as salvation. They should have been drinking from God, from the fountain of living water, but instead they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This disobedience that they've engaged in, this drifting away that they've done, it's, it's, it's like they were thirsty, 
and they looked at the fountain of living water and said, that's not exactly what I want. I want to be over there. And they went after it. And they suffered for it. That's what always happens. So whenever Israel drifted away from God and they relied on money and sex and power and forgets God, in this situation, God used the analogy of water. But we're going to see another analogy here in the scripture. As we saw, this other analogy is darkness and torture. Okay? So this is our warning. In this, in this next verse, all of verse 11 is just a warning to us about this whole reliance idea. Okay? So let's look at verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you kindled. This you have from my hands. You shall lie down in torment. Torment, like, like what's described in hell, right? Torment that you have chosen your way. You've decided I'm going to go in this direction. And God says, okay. And he leaves us alone to go do it. He leaves us alone to have our way. But the only thing you get from God's absence is not the thing that you wanted. It's torment. Because what you really wanted, you didn't realize it, should have come from God and doesn't have the torment with it because you have God, right? So my temptation is the same as Israel's temptation. When I find myself in a moment of darkness, my first goal is I got to get out of here. I have to escape, right? I got to escape the darkness. It's gotta, it needs to end. It needs to end now, right? And God knows this. He knows what our temptation is, and he tells us, don't reach for the torch just yet. Don't jump up and try to escape from the darkness. Don't grab a torch. And that's a question that we can ask ourselves is, am I trying to escape from this darkness, or am I using it the way that God wants to use it and intentionally to grow, right? Because God's intent is that when we enter this period of darkness, we had a faith that may have been strong, but the faith we have at the end of that period of darkness is going to be a different faith, a better faith, a stronger faith than we had at the beginning. This is a refining period. We know the way that scripture talks about suffering, that it produces steadfastness, that it makes us better, that it's like, it's like a refining fire. And refined metal is better. It is stronger. It's better to work with. So this is not to say that during this period of darkness that I'm talking about, that we should avoid all things that we enjoy. I don't think that that's reaching for a torch, right? Because God ministers to us through gifts of strength. He ministers to us through the good things that he has made. So in your period of darkness, it's not a sin to, uh, to reach out for friends or to reach out for good music or for art or for food and drink. Those are good things to reach for. Those are things that God made for us to enjoy, and he'll minister to us through them. But we still have to exercise some self-awareness. It's not that easy to say this is allowed or it's not allowed, right? There are some things in this life that are made and they are good, and for some people to engage in it, it's good. But for other people to engage in it, it's sin. Alcohol, for instance. Some people can engage in it healthy, righteously. Other people have realized they're alcoholics, and they've said, you know what? This is not for me anymore. I cannot engage in this in a, in a good way, in a right way. Can't do it. Same with food. There's some food for some people. This is good. This is right for me. But that very same food poured it over to someone else. It's a sin. I can't do it. I've realized my own heart. I've exercised a little self-awareness. I have, I have meditated on this, and it's just not for me. 
so it's not easy. It is, it is very difficult to figure this out. And then in this situation, we're not specifically talking about whether it's sin or not, but we're talking about how we rely on it, right? So when I get in a moment of darkness given to me by God and I feel discomfort and I want to feel comfort, what do I reach for? Because for some people, they will reach for alcohol. Some of them, they will reach for uh, food. Some of them, they will reach for music and turn it up really loud so that they can ignore what's going on in here. Food so that they can quiet the discomfort in their stomach and think that it's going to make them satisfied. Or I just got to go hang out with friends. I can't be alone with my own thoughts right now. Are you trying to escape from something that God is trying to put you through on purpose? Are we sidestepping the lessons and the growth that God wants to lead us in in a moment of darkness? We have to ask ourselves those questions. I can't give you the answer because we're all different. Uh, but that's the question we should ask ourselves because it's complicated. Because sometimes, not all the time, God sent this darkness or this hardship from his own hand. Sometimes. And sometimes, but not all the time, God does not intend to change our circumstances, but what he intends to change is us. He wants to change us and not the things that we're going through. Because some of us do have a very real hormonal imbalance, and parts of our brain don't secrete where they're supposed to secrete, and we need medicine. That is a reality for some of us, and that, that should change. We should go to a doctor, we should get that fixed. And some of us have, uh, have circumstances that we're in that we need to change them. We have cycles of abuse that, we are, that we're living under that we need to escape from. We need to physically remove ourselves from a place because it's just not where we're supposed to be at this moment. And it's a good thing, right? That I'm not trying to say that, oh, you should stay in an abusive household because maybe God wants to change your grit. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's complicated is what I'm saying. And it's, some, it's work that we have to do on our own. Um, because... <coughs> I wish that I could get, like I, like I said at the beginning, there's not a map to our emotional well-being in the back of our Bible. I wish that I could give you a five-step plan that works in every single person's situation. Uh, but it's not that way because we are complex creatures, physical and spiritual. We're dealing with a God who is infinitely complex and his plans, they span centuries and they involve people from all nations and times. So our complexity and his complexity multiplied on top of itself, we can't hope to have the exact same solution to each person's problem. But we can at least be guided in the same direction by verses like this, okay? And we might like to think, because we're, we're modern educated people, we like to think that we might be able to look at our life and fully understand every season that we're in as we're in it you might like to talk about what era we're in. Um, I've heard kids talk like that before. I, I think it's kind of funny. Like, I get it. I get what it means, but I can't hope to understand what era I'm in in my life for whatever moment. Um, I, I, I can't make sense of my life because my life has to be lived forward, but it can only be understood backward. And that can feel like a curse for us as human beings. If we were going through this alone, that's a curse. To only to have to live your life forward and only be able to understand it backward, uh, that doesn't feel right, and it would feel like a burden. However, we as Christians know that we serve a God who does understand, who has been to the end of our life and the end of all of our lives, and has looked back, and who has guidance to give to us. Right? 
He's gone all the way to the end. He knows what it looks like. And if I think to myself, I wish I could talk to a time traveler, someone who's been 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000 years into the future and can come back and tell me what to do right now, that's exactly what I have. I have God. I have God who has been to the very end. He has seen it all. He knows everything. And he's in complete control over it. He doesn't just observe. He authored it. And he has this gift for us, right? This relationship that we have from him, this advice that he has to give to us, this guidance and this law, it stands, right? Even though I'm in this, this period of darkness, he has still given me these guiding questions to help lead me in my unique situation. So once again, those points. Number one, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? We have to ask ourselves that first. Do I have a reverence and a love and a fear for God? We've got to ask ourselves that. The second question, do you obey the voice of his servant? Are you obeying the voice of Jesus? Are you obeying the commands of God? Or is there an area in your life where you know, and it's in your head right now, that's the one, that's the thing I've got to give up, that's the thing I've got to walk away from. Do we have that? Or do we feel like we're good in that area and we, we desperately are just being led as a good, regenerated Christian? The third point, what are we trusting in the name of God for? We trust in the name of God, but what exactly are we trusting in him for? And we've got to ask ourselves, did he actually promise us that? Did he actually say he was going to give us that? Or did we make that up? Are we ready to take from God what he has decided to give us in our lives? And again, that fourth point, are we relying on God or are we relying on something else? To use the scripture's analogy, I have a path before me and I want to light that path. Am I using worldly torches to light it or am I relying on God? Is God enough? Is God enough to keep me walking through this darkness even though I can't see where I'm going? I hear his voice. I kind of have a sense of where I'm going, but I can't see it myself. Am I gonna, am, do I have enough trust in him? Am I relying on him and relying on the things he's given me to lead me closer to him? Or am I relying on these things to keep me comfortable in darkness? I've given us a lot of questions. Um, there's a lot to meditate on. But now we're going to move into our time of communion where you get to do the work for yourself. Um, so here at Restoration City Church, we respond to the word that we've just heard in, uh, in a few different ways. Um, we have our tithes and offerings. 